0: Welcome to Curious and Candid, conversations with those in pursuit of more. Today's guest is Dr. Nikki Wan. Nikki, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Nikki, I just want to jump right into um, four questions that I like to call the conversational starter questions, um, just to kind of get the conversational ball rolling, so to speak. So I'd like to know, how do you start your day? Is there any specific routine or ritual you like to stick to on most mornings and on most days?
1: I don't actually
0: have a ritual.
1: I kind of get up and go about my day as if I were starting my day at whatever time. So it is getting out of bed, doing skincare, taking my dog out for a walk, and then preparing myself breakfast before I head out the door.
0: Excellent. What's the what's the uh, skincare uh, practice look like? I've never had anybody. Uh, I've never had a conversation about anybody on a podcast about that. What does that look like for you, if you don't mind? Um, daily face
1: wash, hyaluronic acid, niacinamide, um, uh, snail mucin, which is a product I'm trying because it's more hydrating for the skin. Eye cream, and then face lotion and sunscreen.
0: Okay. Very good. Love it. Um, All right. So the next question, uh, Nikki, is what's your favorite book? And if you are somebody who listens to podcasts uh, fairly frequently, do you have a favorite uh, podcast or a go-to podcast? And if there's more than one with the book or podcast, please don't limit yourself because that would be hard for me to limit it just to one for myself.
1: Oh, I don't know what my favorite book is right now. I would say either between the Fourth Wing series, which I actually haven't read the second one, or the A Court of Thorn and Roses series also, but I don't know. I haven't finished reading either series yet. We're working on it. My favorite podcast to listen to about triathlon is definitely Pro Tri News, and I don't really have one for more of your everyday podcast type listening i um listen to too much going on so i don't i really can sit in my car and tune everything out
0: perfect uh we'll kind of get more into your uh uh you know your your physical practices and your uh training in a little bit but you mentioned the Pro Tri News Podcast. Do you compete or have you competed in triathlons?
1: I do compete and I have competed. I have been doing it since I was 10 years old. Um, it was something based off of family friends who who saw that I swam and were like, maybe you should try a triathlon instead. And then I helped start the Parker University Triathlon Club um, for chiropractic school. And ever since then, in 2018, I've been hooked and doing long course triathlon since then. Wow.
0: excellent! Love that. We're, we'll we'll get into that a little bit more. Uh, that that's that's super cool. Because on your Instagram, I see you like in the gym, like getting after it in terms of like weight training and stuff. So uh, I I'm 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 excited to talk about that. But we'll get there in a little bit. Um, in the last year, I mean, we're fresh into. 2024 so this is a pretty uh relevant question for the time of year that we're currently in Nikki but in the last year what life lesson have you been taught or have you learned and maybe it's something that you had to relearn but is there anything that comes to mind when I ask that question
1: My biggest takeaway is to not believe everything that people say that they will do and to trust yourself um, because people can say a lot of things and not follow through. So really it's either you're going on this path with them or you are outgrowing them at some point. So it's trusting your instinct to be able to follow that.
0: Hmm. Uh, If you don't mind me asking, was there like a specific situation or circumstance over the last year that kind of solidified it solidified for you the the trusting yourself or would you prefer not to talk about that i would prefer not to talk about that all right that sounds good um all right last question to kind of wrap up the uh, conversational starter questions nikki uh do you have a favorite quote mantra or word my favorite
1: mantra is go one more. And it's a Nick bear mantra. Um, it's just continuing to do the next thing while embracing the moment that you are in, because there's always something that you're going to chase and always something that's going to set your fire, ignite your fire. So that way you are passionate about something and keep pushing the limit.
0: Excellent. Love that. Very cool. Um, okay. We're going to kind of jump into at this point, Uh, Nikki, your backstory. So um, for myself, all the listeners, we'd love to kind of just know a little bit more about um, your childhood, uh, your upbringing. So talk about like where you physically grew up and then just paint that picture for us uh, with regard to uh, your younger years. I'm assuming since you started doing triathlons when you're 10, um, athletic sports is a big part of your upbringing. So um, just talk about uh, your childhood up to and through high school, if you don't mind.
1: So I was born and raised in Austin, Texas, actually grew up in this house, um, but we'll go back to that. Um, My parents moved here to the United States a long time ago. One is from Malaysia, one's from Singapore. So my first language is not English. It was Cantonese. And they put me in Montessori school. And after two weeks, I spoke English. Um, After that... I went to private school for K through fourth grade and in fifth grade I went to charter school and that's kind of where everything changed for me knowing being inside a Christian school bubble and then transitioning to um your more public more like everyday people that was not the population that I was surrounding myself with during that time obviously um my parents taught me how to swim from a very early age. I'm not actually sure what ta- when I learned how to swim, but it was basically as soon as I could walk, from what I understand. And they did the whole learning how to swim by backing up off the wall until I was swimming across the whole pool. Um, I learned how to do triathlon at the age of 10. I was in club swim, I'm pretty sure all of middle school. Um, because I would show up to school with my shoes smelling like chlorine from practice the night before. And when I was 10, I picked up swimming and triathlon. Not 10. Um I picked up triathlon and I did triathlon until I was 15.
0: Hmm.
1: And then I tore my shoulder when I was 17. Um I tore the labrum in my left shoulder and had surgery when I was 18 in college. Okay. Um I grew up playing violin and piano. I learned piano when I was 5 and I picked up violin at age 7. Uh and I kept playing that all through till I was 18 and out of the
0: house. Hmm. Wow. All right. Um now First of all, I want to ask you uh, if you know, I'm assuming you do, but maybe you don't. But uh, how did your parents uh, originally meet since they were from two different uh, countries?
1: So their best friends were getting married and they were the maid of honor and best man. So they met through them at their wedding.
0: Okay, cool. And um, their decision to move to the United States, was that? solely based off of just the betterment of their lives and their, their family, or was there some, some other reason?
1: I'm assuming it's for the betterment of their lives and for their family. They came to the U S to continue college and do college in the U S. So that's what my thought process is about that.
0: Okay, cool. And so I'm assuming then, uh, education was highly stressed in your home and, there were some very high expectations for you. Can you just touch on that? And um, with those high expectations, sometimes that can be very uh, hard on uh, us young people. And especially when we get, you know, in those teenage years, maybe we feel some anxiety or stress because of those high expectations. So um, did you feel any of that or was that just kind of the way you did it and, and you excelled with those expectations academically from your parents?
1: Um, yes, there were always high expectations on me. I think it's also because I was the first born that there were so many high expectations and they, I mean, first generation parents moving to a foreign country now raising a newborn in this country. Um, I think there are some level of expectations with that, um, where they want the first child to exceed. So with my younger brother, um, I think he had an easier path set for him where he could do all the things that he wanted to do versus me. I was just expected to do the things that I was expected to do.
0: And did, did you feel any pressure from those expectations or not necessarily?
1: I don't think I realized the pressure from those expectations until I was older, until I was in college and realized how much those expectations were on me when I was my own individual sort of.
0: Yeah. Right. Okay. Now, um, talk to me a little bit about, uh, you know, obviously your, your, your parents came to the U S and stuff. Did you ever experience any, uh, you know, struggles in terms of, you know, your skin color or your, your, uh, family origins or anything like that growing up? If so, can you just, uh, can you touch on that? Um,
1: I think a minority, a majority of minority kids can agree with me that based off skin color, we're all judged because especially growing up in a place where there's not a ton of Asian kids in like specific school systems you get judged and you get all the racial slurs and like as a kid you kind of just try to brush it off because you want to be friends with everyone but then you get older and you realize oh that probably wasn't actually nice thing to say and it's kind of just something that you get used to almost Mm. um but obviously in different minority systems there each person has their own um set of struggles that they experienced um, versus what I would have experienced. I mean I didn't grow up probably the same way as other people. I was raised in the church. So I didn't see the race, the racial um, side of things unless I was at school where it was more of a Hispanic population, um, a black and African population with um, there being a very small population
0: of um, white people. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, now, you, you mentioned uh, going to a school at some point that had a, a Christian influence. You just mentioned kind of growing up in the church. Will you talk a little bit about the influence of Christianity and growing up in the church on you as a young person? And then what are your viewpoints on uh, that faith or that religion, however you'd like to word that? as a as an adult uh at this point in your life
1: I don't know if I ever really realized it and how it affected me as a kid versus ne- like as an adult when I went to college um I grew up in the church and I didn't think anything else of it just because it was who I was um what I was going through I mean I was leading worship band in high school and I was always doing something at church because my parents were always involved in the church. Um, I don't necessarily remember a lot of how schooling and the, with the Christianity factor affected me versus like once I started going to secular school and going to like in middle school and high school when I was, um, in a charter school, I didn't, I think that tested my faith maybe a little bit, but it wasn't like anyone was like, Oh, my religion's better than your religion. They all kind of just understood like, Oh, you go to a different
0: church than I do.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Hmm. And, and so how do you kind of view, uh, that religion or that practice of faith as an adult? Is that something you still practice or, uh, have you found uh, something else to to serve you better in in your uh, in your life? I
1: actually don't practice it anymore. Um, I do still believe in a higher being and that there is a God, but I don't necessarily attend church and practice because I kind of felt when I went to college that I was kind of burned out, burnt out from being at church because I was so involved in it. It was youth group, worship team, every single thing. Like I was there from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. every weekend, um, trying to just do things because that's what I thought was expected of me. Um, But now as an adult, I just kind of do my own thing and I believe in what I believe in, which is just that there is a higher being and that someone is there who has probably been watching out for me
0: my whole life. Mm. Cool. All right. Now, uh, were there any, obviously your mom and dad, I'm assuming had some sort of positive influence and impact in your life when you were uh, growing up, were there any teachers, coaches, maybe it was a pastor or somebody of that sort, uh, some adult or adults, uh, Nikki in your life growing up outside of your parents that you feel like they really had a positive influence or impact on your life. And, um, would you just maybe share a little bit about, about that person or people if, 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 uh, if they are so? Um,
1: I grew up around a lot of adults. Um, So I'm sure at some point they all had specific influences on my life. But I don't know if any of them specifically influenced me in the way that I am now as an adult. Um, There are a few people, obviously, through chiropractic school, and undergrad, like there are friends and things like that, that probably have influenced me for the better, but I don't know if there was a specific adult coach, um, family friend that would have influenced me.
0: Hmm. All right. Okay. Um, we're going to, I want to ask you a couple more things about your younger years, then we're going to start kind of getting into college talk a little bit, but I'm fascinated. So you started triathlon uh, training and all of that, like at 10 years old, you said, which is, I mean, that's, that's very young and triathlon is a very, uh, very intense, uh, sport. So, um, what, what was your schedule like? I mean, you said you did like the piano and different instruments and the church stuff and you had school obviously like, and doing athletics, like what was, what was your schedule like as, you know, a a young person, like middle school, high school, like, did you ever stop and, and what was, what, what did you enjoy most when you're younger about triathlon? Just talk a little bit about kind of getting into that world, if you don't mind, uh, Nikki. So
1: a family friend introduced my parents to triathlon and we're like, Hey, I think she'd be good at it. Cause she's a really good swimmer. Um, I know I don't actually remember a ton about my schedule from those years. It's probably been like for many years since I've done that. Um, but I remember every day after school there being an activity, whether it was violin lessons, piano lessons. Um, I know the weekends were reserved for church things. I think swim lesson, swim team was specific days of the week. I never actually trained for triathlons during that time. It was kind of my parents signed up for races and were like, hey, go do it. And I kind of just threw something together and would figure it out along the way.
0: Got it. Got it. Um, so you were on swim team. What were kind of your go-to or uh, strengths in terms of strokes uh, when you were on swim team when you were younger?
1: Backstroke and breaststroke were my two strokes, which I cannot do the same way as I used to be able to do.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah, I was on swim team, uh, you know, when I was younger and stuff. And uh, backstroke, not not for me, but definitely breaststroke. That was my favorite. And I still I still enjoy jumping in the pool and doing some breaststroke and freestyle. So swimming is a great, great activity. All right. So um you go you go to college. Obviously, right now you're 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 a doctor of, of chiropractic. So what was the influence for you to uh become a chiropractor? And is that uh you know the direction that you took immediately when you went to get your undergraduate degree or Did that uh, course of study change at some point, Nikki?
1: So I actually started undergrad as a music education major. I obviously played instruments since the age of five. I went in for violin. Um, At some point, I just lost the passion for playing instruments because it just burnt me out at that school specifically. Um, So I decided that I think it was either my sophomore or junior year, maybe mid year, sophomore year where I decided, Hey, maybe I'll do kinesiology because I like working with athletes and I like being active. Um, I don't know if anything specifically influenced me towards being a chiropractor versus a PT versus something else. I just know that during, um, my childhood, I attended um, PT for two years basically because of so, uh, several injuries that kept occurring, and I was like, I don't want to go to PT school because this kind of seems boring. So, but obviously that's not what I think of PTs now. I think it's just because that is a insurance based setting, so it's kind of they do the same thing over and over for a prescription which is fine. But that's just what I thought PT was, was just doing exercises, a little bit of poking and um calling it good and doing that three times a week. There
0: we go. Okay. So um did you, so you mentioned you went to PT for some injuries when you're younger. Did you also uh, go to a chiropractor? I, I guess I'm just, at some point there had to like be some sort of influence or some thought in your brain about uh, chiropractic. So did you also go to a chiropractor and that have a little bit of influence when you're younger or not not necessarily?
1: I don't think I went to the chiropractor. I know my mom went to the chiropractor. She's a marathoner. Um, But I don't know if that necessarily influenced me. I know there was someone in one of our university undergrad courses in the kinesiology program where they would bring a guest in every week um about specific paths you can take from kinesiology and chiropractic was like the last one that they brought in and I was like that sounds good <laughs>
0: <laughs> you sound like a simple girl that's uh that's cool um now did you you're from Austin Texas so did you go to UT or did you go somewhere else for uh, undergraduate touch on that
1: I actually went to the University of North Texas um as a rebellious teenager I was like I need to get away from my parents as far as possible while staying in the state <laughs>
0: yeah. okay cool and did you uh, did you uh, have an opportunity to go on uh, scholarships and get kind of like a full ride academically or or not
1: no I had a little bit of a scholarship there were other programs I could have gotten into but I think based off the other schools I was looking at because I was primarily looking at a music education. Um, so there were a few schools I was looking at, but I was like, I don't think I could fit in here just because it's in the middle of nowhere, Mm -hmm. or I don't want to go here because of X, Y, and Z. So I chose the school I wanted to go to because it was near a big city. It was a big campus and there was a lot of things to do without being too far from home, but being far enough that my parents probably wouldn't drive up for the day.
0: Okay. <laughs> and so, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm out in Colorado. I'm not too familiar with Texas. So university of North Texas, where is Where's is that located at Nikki?
1: It is North of Dallas and Fort worth area. It's about
0: three and a half hours from Austin. Okay. Okay. Nice. Very cool. Um, okay. Now, uh, I, I mentioned earlier about, uh, checking out your Instagram and, uh, seeing you, uh, lifting weights and, and kind of getting after it in the gym. When did you kind of get into weight training and kind of have, it looks like some sort of a passion for, uh, you know, the strength side of, of training?
1: I think I got into it in like 2016. Um, I was working at a gym, a local gym, um, just as a front desk person, just to get some extra money uh, before I decided I should go to chiropractic school. Um, I think it was just my friends I was with where I was like, well, I don't want to be a twig forever. Like I would like to have some muscle in my body. And I kind of think this is cool enough that I want
0: to do it. All right. Um, now do you do, uh, cause it looks like you're doing like deadlifts and like more like power based uh, strength training, maybe even for power lifting. So Do you compete in powerlifting or uh, have you? Do you have a desire to? Or just talk to us a little bit about your your training regimen and and why you kind of train that way, if you don't mind. Um, I have never competed
1: in a powerlifting competition. I have done, in chiropractor school, we had what was called a strongman competition, but I don't think it was a true strongman competition. I also had no idea what I was doing when I went. All I know is... I was called one morning cause they needed another female on the team from my trimester. So they called me and they're like, Hey, can you come? You don't really have to do much. You just have to like lift weights and do a couple of cool things. And I was like, okay, cool. Cause I was still weight training at the time. Um, so they called me. I did that. I don't think I've competed ever since that. That's like the only little base power training competition I've done. I have, looked into competitions like High Rocks, which is more of your CrossFit style workouts. Um, but I just enjoy being able to lift heavy weights while being a triathlete because a lot of triathletes believe that um, you can't lift heavy weights or because then you'll get too bulky or that if you weigh too much, you're not going to be as fast. Um, which is where I like to be different than everyone else and just kind of do my own thing and do the training that I enjoy because I don't always get to lift heavy because when you're heavy into triathlon season, you kind of lose some of that strength. So I kind of am taking advantage of the off season and being able to build that strength and that power again. So whenever I decide to start training for a race again, I will be stronger in that aspect because triathlon is a power sport also, even though
0: most people don't believe that. Hmm. So what, what type of, uh, so talk to me a little bit about then, like some of the, the movements that you think are staples for you, uh, Nikki, in terms of strength, um, building some, uh, you know, muscle tissue, and that you found that just worked best for you. I mean, like I said, you, it looks like you do some deadlifting. Uh, Are you doing like, you know, barbell squats? Like what, what does your regimen kind of look like? Cause I, again, you are kind of a unicorn in the sense of you're a chiropractor, you're doing triathlons, you're, you're, you're training uh, your weight training in the gym. Like that's, that's unicorn type stuff. So what does your actual lifting look like or what type of regimen are you following?
1: Um, I have one of my friends send me a, like workouts, we kind of just randomly throw things together, where it'll be like, one day is deadlifting, one day is squats, one day is hip thrusting. But with all those days, I am doing upper body movements. So sometimes it'll be a dumbbell bench, sometimes it will be a barbell, um, like an actual bench press, other days will be more shoulder and back focused. So it's really dependent on like, what kind of day it is. It's always there's a always a push and pull motion to it. There's always some sort of leg component and trying to strengthen the, doing more single leg stuff to strengthen each side. So I don't have deficiencies Mm. because you don't necessarily notice those the same way in compound movements as you do with things like lunges, step ups, like single sided stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You Unilateral movements are, I'm a huge proponent of that. Like my My, uh, background is exercise science and own a gym and all that fun stuff. And, um, I'm, I'm a huge proponent when I've trained like athletes, anybody, but especially athletes, younger athletes, I love, um, and, and like I said, I'm a huge proponent of the unilateral movements because I think, uh, if you get stronger in unilateral movements, you're only going to get stronger in bilateral movements. And like you said, when you're training those unilateral movements, you're, you're really, uh, allowing yourself to to strengthen some of those possible weaknesses that you have, you know, like my, my right side of my body is stronger and more dominant than my left. And all of us have those, uh, you know, imbalances. And if you're always training bilaterally, then that stronger dominant side is always going to be uh, taking over, so to speak. So kudos to you for doing the unilateral stuff. Now uh, tying in the professional side of, your life and, and, uh, experiences as a chiropractor. And then your, your weight training, uh, you mentioned like again, the deadlifts and the barbell squats, uh, you know, professionally speaking, um, ha- have you ever come across anybody that maybe told you, you shouldn't be doing deadlifts or you shouldn't be squatting or just professionally speaking, why should people be lifting heavy weights and doing all that if you think they should, or, or are you just doing it because that's what you want to do?
1: Um, so yes, I have come across people who tell me to not do certain movements. There's always going to be those people in the field who are like, oh, but there are better movements for you. And they're 10 times more complex. And when you break it down, you need the simple movements. So that way you can understand how your body needs to move. Because if you're always doing the complex movements of like, Let's say you're standing on top of a box, but you're supposed to be doing a barbell, um, a bent over row, like if you're adding so many complexities, but this person's already having imbalances and problems, you need to simplify the program. So that way you can understand where they're having the issue, because if you make it too complicated, then all of a sudden your athlete is like, well, I don't know how this relates to my sport. Um, and that's where I'm always taking it back to the basics of like, hey, let's let's have a hinge movement, let's do squat patterns, like let's do all these specific movements so that way you understand. Because even when you're evaling a patient, mm-hmm. you you have them touch your toes, which is a hip hinge movement. You have them lean back and you look for the curvature in their extension. You have them rotate side to side, you can check lateral side to side movement. Um, So it's all about trying to figure out where they can improve on, but without overcomplicating it, because if they can't translate it from what you're telling them to reality, there are not, there's going to be something lost in translation and they will be really confused at the end of the day.
0: Yeah. Very well put. Um, Now with, uh, do, now with your your clients or your um, patients, however you kind of want to use that word, uh, do you uh, prescribe uh, like um, lifestyle um, uh, you know prescriptions, so to speak, in terms of like nutrition and you know water intake and and physical training or do you kind of leave that up to other professionals?
1: I think if someone is looking for guidance, I will kind of check to make sure they are getting an adequate amount of water, that they are doing movement. Most of my people that come to me are already active. So that's not something that is a component that I have to worry about. It's more of, are you sleeping enough? Are you eating enough? Are you drinking enough water? Are you drinking things that are not coffee? Um, Are you drinking things that are not caffeine all the time? Like, it's more of worrying about those basic necessities because if they are constantly working out, five plus days a week, I need to make sure that they're able to recover and that they're not sleeping three to five hours a night because your body recovers best when you're sleeping and that they're not just relying on all the tools that they can and that they're using their body to allow themselves to recover.
0: Excellent. Okay. Okay. One more question. And then I want to kind of take a step back into your kind of professional story and then we'll kind of get more into the chiropractic stuff and all that. But, um, What, what, in your professional opinion, Nikki, uh, what's the best way to strengthen, uh, you know, like the the spine and all the muscles that, um, are around the spine. Uh, obviously, uh, I personally believe like, you know, the glutes, um, are, are, are very important in terms of, uh, low back strength and and all of that. There's a lot of muscles that tie in, but if you were going to give somebody a suggestion in terms of strengthening, uh, you know, those muscles in their upper, mid and lower back, um, What what is a movement or movements that you would professionally uh, suggest or what movements do you like to kind of strengthen that area for yourself personally? Um,
1: if patients are experiencing problems, like a favorite movement of mine is the Jefferson curl. I don't know if you necessarily know what that is, but it's where you're standing on an elevated box and you're holding a kettlebell and you're rounding your spine. So through the whole movement, you are experiencing the load and it's an easy way to to tell where the problem is and where they're having to pull from other muscle groups. Um, that's always a good movement to do. Um, I mean, strengthening the glutes, the core, and everything in that area is also really good for people who have low back pain. Um that but that's just very generalized. Yeah. Um, because there are so many other problems that they could be having, but strengthening glutes and strengthening the erector uh, spinae, all the muscles along the side of the spine and doing things like that will generally make you feel better.
0: Cool. Okay. Um so you graduate uh you know from your undergraduate and then you uh what what does kind of life look like cuz it sounds like maybe you went to chiropractic school a little bit after you graduated undergraduate or did you go immediately to chiropractic school
1: I actually did not undergraduate from undergrad um I went straight into chiropractic school so I finished I left the University of North Texas in December of 2017 and I started immediately at chiropractic school in January 2018 so a few weeks later after the holidays is when I started chiropractic school.
0: And then where did you go to chiropractic school? And uh, was it, was it pretty easy for you? Was it tough? What did you kind of learn in chiropractic school in terms of uh, maybe study habits that you need to uh, make a little bit better or just what was that overall experience?
1: I went to chiropractic school at Parker university in Dallas, Texas. Um, It was a lot harder. You're not, In undergrad, you take 12 to 15 hours, maybe 18 hours max while you're in undergrad. In chiropractor school, you start with 18 hours and it develops into 22 to, I think upwards of 26 hours is the max that we get to. And you're constantly in class and you're having to learn how to study and how to remember every single topic because you're sitting in the same classroom all day and your professors come to you, teach the class, and you're having to differentiate all these different things. Now, it's a little easier in the first trimester because you have all these variety of topics. So they don't, they kind of overlap, but they don't overlap. So it's easier to be like, oh, this belongs to this, this belongs to this, and this belongs to this. Um, so that's basically, it was learning how to study efficiently without having to stay up all night to study. Right.
0: What was... uh. Or what is something, Nikki, that you didn't learn in chiropractic school, but you wish you had learned or they would have taught you guys that or something that you wish maybe uh, now through different experiences in your life? You're like, man, in chiropractic school, I really think they should be teaching us X, Y, Z. What Z. What is that? If there's anything that comes to mind when I ask that question.
1: Um, I do wish there was a better business program set up for us we had two business classes one was writing a business plan and the other one I honestly could not tell you for the life of me what that business class was about um business is hard and I wish they kind of would have set us up for the fact that when you get out of chiropractic school unless you open your own business you're gonna get eaten up by the first doctor that you get hired on by because It's sad to say that when you go to chiropractic school, you are under the belief that, oh, I will get out of school. I'll have a great job. I'll have a great experience and all that stuff. But now the way it is, is that the doctors out in the field hiring will eat their young and will chew them up and spit them out. Hmm. So that's where you turn and you see that there are so many people open their practice because they had bad experiences in working for other
0: people. Okay. You gotta, for those of us that have no clue what you mean by the older chiropractors will eat the young, like what, what, what is what does that, what does that mean? What does that kind of look like uh, in the world of chiropractic? I've never heard a chiropractor uh, say that before.
1: Um, it's something a lot of physical therapists will also experience in their first year of practice you are enticed by a really cool job opportunity. It sounds great on paper. It sounds great when they talk to you. But as soon as you start working for them, it is the complete opposite experience of what you expect from someone who has been in the field for a while. So it's like you'll have a bad experience because you're overworked. You're not doing what you were told you were going to be doing. Like You're just basically an overpaid intern. It's almost what it feels like.
0: Okay, So um, I'm assuming since you're talking about that, you had a, an experience like that. So once you graduated chiropractic school and you're like, man, I'm, you know, I'm going to go conquer the world. Uh, how did life kind of unfold? I, I want you to kind of share, if you don't mind, Nikki, your personal experiences because other people are going to hear this and, 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 and be able to relate or, or just find it fascinating. So um, when you're done with chiropractic school uh, how did, how did life professionally on un, unfold for you?
1: I had a few job opportunities waiting for me right out of chiropractic school, but it wasn't what I wanted to do because I wanted to see athletes. I wanted to work in the field that I wanted to work. I found a really cool job opportunity in Boulder. Hmm. Um, so I moved to Colorado a month after graduation and those six months that I was up there, I was the most depressed I had ever been. And I had no community. I had very little friends, like all my friends lived in, like around the Denver area. Um, but it was very hard on me because like, I had no social life I had. It was work and training and just trying to figure out a way to get patients because the person I was working for was not helpful and only wanted things done a certain way. And it was almost like whatever I said was not good enough Mm. or was not respected, even though we were both chiropractors, but because he had more experience, clearly he is the one that only knows that way. So, I mean, I, um, Woke up with a text one morning. It was a paragraph and basically fired me over text. And the week before I had um, slid on ice in, I think that was March, 2022. I slid on ice while I was turning a corner. It was my first winter in Colorado and I broke two of my axles. So I was trying to figure out how to get to and from work because I lived about 15 minutes driving, but it's 15 miles, like, on the bike path. So it's, I was trying to figure out how to get to work at that time and was given no grace about that whole situation. So it was very much a mind-blowing experience and eye-opening, and it showed me that there are a lot of people who, experience the same thing because I've had conversations with so many different colleagues of mine that were like, yeah, this is a very normal experience,
0: but no one talks about it. Hmm. Hmm. Do you, do you feel that, um, uh, that obviously you're, you're, you're a female and you mentioned that this chiropractor that hired you was a male, do you feel like there's also, uh, you know, some, um, incongruency, so to speak, uh, in terms of like the, the males in your field and the females, um, or do you not necessarily feel that or haven't heard other people talk about that?
1: Um, I mean, yes, males tend to have more of a power balance, um, issue, especially with females who can match their level. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's not just in chiropractic. It's, I mean, it's everywhere in society. It's when alpha males believe that no one else should be ahead of them or can match them. So it's something that is, that you have to tiptoe around and figure out how to work around them. Mm. Um, So, I mean, I haven't really compared other female and male doctors in that sense, but I do think like it is a very normal thing in society that there's just a power struggle. Yeah. When you have a very dominant male.
0: Yeah. Very, uh, males us, we, uh, we can be very, uh, I mean, anybody can, but more so males from my experience, uh, can be very egotistical and, 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 uh, like, uh, ego driven. Um, and I've had my own experiences, uh, you know, you get it, you get around people that are highly educated, whether that's a medical doctor or chiropractor or a personal trainer or, you know, a a public educator, it doesn't matter. Just like you said, but, um, you know, a lot of people male and female, but my experience is more male than female are, are ego driven. And if that ego isn't uh, put in check by themselves or somebody else, it can be a very toxic, deadly, um, experience, unfortunately for other people around them. Now, um, so it's, it's that sucks that your experience in Boulder in Colorado wasn't very good because I I love Colorado I, I I love Boulder I love Denver but maybe maybe you'll find your way back out here at some point at least uh, vacationing so um okay so after you're done at Boulder you get your text that saying that you're you're done uh, professionally speaking how did life unfold for you at that point uh, Nikki? So I
1: actually stayed in Boulder. I found another job down the street um, for a female, and she was great. Mm -hmm. Um, My experience with her was 10 times different than my experience with him. Um, The reason I was let go was just because she needed to fix some things with her business. Um, So it was just um, something that needed to happen for her business to continue growing So that's at that point, that's when I chose to open my own concierge-style practice a year after I
0: moved to Boulder. Hmm. Okay. And so did you open your own practice in Boulder, or did you move back to Austin and open that up? I actually opened
1: it in Colorado. Um, I moved back to Austin about three months ago now. Um, So I lived in Colorado from... September, 2021 until November, 2023. Oh, cool. Um, So I opened my practice October, 2022 and kind of just worked part-time at different clinics so I could have financial stability, just doing my job of adjusting, getting in, getting out. And then on the side, I was, I had my own practice mm-hmm. where I was traveling to go see patients, athletes, different population. Um, it wasn't my primary focus. So I didn't put all my time and energy into it. I did put a lot of time and energy into figuring out what I wanted to do and why I didn't want to work for someone else Um, back in Colorado again. Cause I already had those two experiences, one being better than the other, but it was just, I was tired of working for other people and not being set up for success necessarily.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Now, this is the fun part for me is I get to pull back some layers. So um, you know, uh owning your, I mean, taking the step of starting your own business, owning your own business. Like, you know, it's it's very uh popularized and glamorized on social media. You know, you see, oh, I've got my own business and I'm making, you know, six figures, and here's my cool car, my cool house, and all that. But that's not necessarily the reality for those of us who uh, own our own businesses, have owned our own businesses, start our own businesses. It's 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 a it's I, I don't think there's any college education that can really prepare you to be an entrepreneur, right? So, talk talk to us about some of those thoughts and maybe some of those fears and anxieties and just some of the 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 thought processes processes, Nikki, that you had to go through to finally kind of say, all right, I'm gonna go for this and walk us through that process and what that was like did did you have some fear did you have some hesitancy um what what just really made you say you know what no matter what i'm i'm going to make this happen just talk to us about that because that that is the reality of life not not necessarily what we see on social media right yep um it is not glamorized
1: at all like i will tell you very upfront that um it is hard it is hard being an owner Especially when you don't have financial backing, like when you don't have people who want to just pay for everything your way. So that way you can just go get clients, work your butt off and just keep doing things day to day. Like it is hard work trying to figure out what you are doing and what is not working, what is working, how you can be better. Um, I think I gave myself about three days after um, being let go from my second job before deciding I wanted to open my own practice, I was like, I don't know what to do now. Like, do I just go work full time in a clinic where I can just get paid every day to work four days a week, nine hours a day, just adjusting at like, um, an adjustment based clinic where you walk in and you just get seen, you get cracked and you walk out. Um, And I didn't think I wanted to do that because that's not what I was passionate about. And I really still have this fire in my um, self that wants to work with athletes and wants to do things a certain way. Um, So I gave myself about three days and I was like, you know what, I kind of want to do this on my own. I kind of want to have my own practice and do things the way I want to do it. Because I have all these experiences, I have all these different um, things I can poke at and be like, hey, like, does this work? Does this not work? And that's where I needed the financial stability. So I was working part time in a clinic, um, just adjusting and getting paid weekly, or every other week, just so I could make this other practice my own practice um, work because I wanted it to work. I knew I had something different than what other people have. I mean, how many concierge chiropractors, sports chiropractors do you know of in Colorado? Not many because there aren't. Um, I know a few people who do um, mobile PT, but it's not a very common thing in Colorado, especially <laughs> Especially since everyone is in the mountains, they're out training, they're working in a different place, or they're like hidden in the mountain. Um, so it was something where I was like, "I have this specific niche; I want this to work." So that's kind of where I decided. You know what? I'll start my own business. I'll I'll keep my costs low. I only will need to pay for my um, software system, and we'll figure it out.
0: Mm. Okay. Cool. Now. Um, so now I want you, if you don't mind, Nikki, to kind of walk us through the practicals of starting your own uh, concierge uh, chiropractic uh, business slash service. So um, you, you, you were working at another office, uh, you know, just adjusting people. And then how did you begin to uh, connect with athletes in, you know, Boulder, the Denver area? And, and, and basically uh, solicit yourself in terms of like, I've got this business, uh, I wanna work with you, I wanna work with athletes. Obviously we know in health and fitness in any profession, word of mouth is very powerful. Uh, and once word starts spreading, that's really all you need. But how, how, did, you, how, did, how did the plane get off the, the ground, so to speak, with making connections and getting your foot in the door um, so that you could start working with athletes in in the area there in Boulder? What, what does it look like practically for you personally? So,
1: as you know, word of mouth is the biggest thing, especially in Colorado, because everyone already has a chiropractor. Everyone has a PT. Like, why should they come to you instead? Like, what makes you different enough that they want to come to you? Um, so it was, my approach was using social media, And then I'm also part of Waterfall Racing Community. So there's a huge hub of athletes in Boulder Mm -hmm. and Denver in general. Um, So it was using that leverage and being like, hey, guys, I have this service. I do this. Um, I'll offer you X amount of percent off for this long just because you are members. Um, So it was trying to figure out different ways to do it. So I was treating my friends for free. Um, I was recording content, posting that to social media, trying to gain traction um, going to business networking groups trying to pull out different strings um, now necessarily not necessarily but business networking groups aren't the best for sports people and people in the health and professional industry like it works a lot better for those who are in like real estate mortgage lending like that kind of business like where they're all left-brained <laughs> and um, the health and professional industry I would say is more of your right brain people because you have to be creative about the way you think about like how to pull different strings and like what works for different people doesn't always work for other people so it's not like x plus y equals z it's always like oh how do I get from here to there by also doing all these other things in the process
0: how did you, uh, how did you utilize social media? Cause I mean, it's not like you have like, you know, hundred K followers or anything. So how did the utilization of social media kind of benefit you? And and I know you mentioned, uh, posting some content that you recorded, but specifically what did that kind of look like utilizing social media as a, as a benefit for your uh, business, Nikki?
1: So it was like mostly reaching out to Denver people. Hmm. So you're, looking at who lives in denver who lives in boulder who um is in that area and try to target your specific niches so like if i wanted to see denver triathletes like how do i word things correctly so that way they will know how to know to come see me Hmm. or how do i target like your boulder runners or your professional olympians that all live in boulder like how do you target those audiences to so that they're like, Oh yeah. Like I see Nikki or like, um, going to go talk to like one of my friends who's a massage therapist, but he like works with all the professional athletes. Like how do I gain leverage with him? So that way they will all also come see me.
0: Yeah. Okay. Love that. Um, sounds like what I do for, uh, the podcast, you know, you just type in some stuff in the search engines and then it's, you're, you're off to the to the races to find cool people to chop it up with on a podcast. Now, um, what was the turning point for you in terms of your business? Uh, do you feel like there was like one connection with an athlete in that Boulder, Denver area, uh, or um, you know, was there just a point in time where you thought, okay, I've got something here, the ball's rolling, and you've never kind of looked back? Like, was there a turning point or a, a specific connection or? Not necessarily,
1: I don't think necessarily there was a turning point. I mean, yes, some of the pro athletes started following me on social media and they started recognizing who I was because I was working with a racing like a racing community in Boulder. So they were starting to see who I was, like, so they would see all my stuff. Um, but I think, like, after my first year in Colorado, I was like, you know what? I think at the end of this second year, I'll go back to Texas because one, I was tired of the snow Two, I was like, maybe it's easier to build something in Texas because I already have that community. It's easier to build a community in Texas. Like I already have so many different connections and strings I can pull from in Austin, like to just start doing something like that. um, Which is why I moved back to Texas. I was not a fan of the snow and the ice and stuff like that. Like I love winter sports with all my heart but I do not want to shovel my car out of the snow.
0: (laughs) You, you and me both, but the unfortunate or fortunate thing, however you want to word it is I, I was born and raised in Iowa. Then I went to college in South Dakota and you know, I'm out in Colorado. It's like, at some point, I want to get to like Southern California or, you know, Southern Arizona where it's like, I never have to see snow. I never have to feel any cold, like below like 35 uh, you know, so I, I, I'm right with it. Cause it's like right now I'm, I'm a, I'm a public educator. So, you know, you gotta, you get up to go to the gym before school and you gotta, you know, start your car like 15, 20 minutes early. You gotta scrape it off. You gotta turn on the four by four on the truck. So you're not sliding All It's just like all these extra things. That's like, I've got enough adulting to do like winter, just plain sucks in my estimation. So, uh, I, I feel you on that one. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Now, um so uh so I live just outside of Durango and so I go to uh, a a lady uh in Durango she's my chiropractor she's actually also a triathlete um and I've never asked her this question but I'm assuming for you being an athlete yourself and having a passion to adjust and 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 work with athletes um the athletes that come to you can, can relate to you and vice versa. And that's a very powerful connection that you guys have. And I'm assuming that's really helped your business as a sports chiropractor. Am I am I correct in saying that? And just expound a little bit on the importance of actually practicing what you preach.
1: Yes, um, I do believe that's a strong, powerful connection because that's also how you build community. And you want to be able to pull from your community to gain business um if you're able to relate to your clients it is easier to build that relationship and that trust because at the same time a patient doctor relationship is all about trust especially when they may or may not have ever had chiropractic care before or they may or may not know why they should come see you because they already have their pt Um, so it's all about developing that trust and if they see that you're out doing these sports and you're they're seeing that you're moving your body in the same way that you're telling them to move their body they're able to develop that relationship with you and be like oh nikki does triathlon she weightlifts. she runs like she does all these things so i should probably go see her because she knows what she's talking about
0: yeah right amen to that i i uh, absolutely love going to practitioners that um kind of, kind of do what I do in terms of like the fitness stuff, right? Um, because they're going to understand uh, my body a little bit better. They're going to understand my mindset, my mentality. And I just, I just really value and appreciate those type of practitioners that not only are practicing what they're preaching, but they're, they're living that fitness health lifestyle and they can relate to me a little bit better. So I, I think that is a powerful um, tool in a practice, practitioners toolbox. Now, um, I want to touch on business a little bit more because, like you said, if, if there's something that you wish you were to learn more about in chiropractic school, is the business side of things, Nikki. So now that you've kind of started and 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 are growing your own practice, your own business, what are some of the most valuable business lessons uh, learned, probably the hard way, over the last several years, that you feel like you could kind of share with us or impart to us, and maybe there's a chiropractor that's out there that are thinking about, um, starting their own business. What, what would you, what words of wisdom would you share with them saying like, Hey, like I would suggest this, I, I kind of had to th- learn it the hard way, but, um, I'm going to share it with you so that maybe you can, uh, glean from me. What, what are some of those business practices that you want to share with us?
1: I guess I'm always still learning. Um, it is always a learning process. It's not something that like, once you start a business and once you figure it out, you know everything Um, you don't actually know everything because something always comes up something new always comes up but it's always like trusting your instinct that you know what you're doing and that you will figure it out because at the end of the day you're still gonna have to figure it out Um, but I don't know if I have any imparting words of advice about starting your own business it's all about just like trusting yourself and trusting that you know what you have to offer to other people. Hmm.
0: Were, were there any uh, books or people on social media or business type uh, influences for you that kind of maybe at least uh, gave you some, some direction or ideas or really was it all just kind of you figuring it out on your own?
1: I mean, yes, there are business influencers and there are chiropractic business influencers on the internet. Um, that can give you advice, but it depends on what practice model that you're going after. And I think the way I model my practice is more after what you see your sports PTs do, versus like what your chiropractors who are business owners are, because they're most of the business owners who are chiropractors are all very much um, your adjustment only um chiropractors they don't do a lot of the rehab stuff um so it's hard to pick a rehab sports minded chiropractor's brain when there aren't many posting about their social media business and how to grow your business to 15k a month
0: Mm. kind of people make makes a lot of sense um now uh i know that's something because i actually used to live in denver and also color springs and I'm um, originally, like I said, from Iowa, a very small town. And when you're in small towns, um, you know, uh, chiropractors, PTs, uh, that that sort of practitioner, um, ins- the insurance side of things is is really what you have to do to to make your living. But I also know, you know, living in Denver and some of these bigger cities uh, that I've lived in, uh, you know, it's 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 cash only uh, because obviously. Uh, That's easier for the practitioner. uh, And, um, you know, there's there's a bigger population. So you can kind of you can do that and thrive in that type of a practice or setting. Is that what you found to be best for you? Like cash only? Can you just touch on that for a quick minute?
1: So cash only is um, a very big thing. I do only do cash only. Um, because it is easier on the practitioner. Like, I'm not someone who wants to sit in front of a computer all day, typing away notes, trying to enter the right codes, making sure I send it to insurance correctly. Um, I am someone that wants to be able to treat you based off how I want to treat you and not based off the guidelines of insurance and what I'm limited by because of insurance. Like, if insurance says, oh, you only get $60 for that adjustment, but you provided $200 worth of treatment, like there are some like things that restrict you because they're like, well, that's not justified. That code didn't work. Like that's why I do cash basis because I can treat the way I want to treat without being limited by the insurance company.
0: Right. Right. Absolutely. Yup. That's what I've heard from a lot of people. Um, now what's your, uh, Nikki, what's your long-term vision or kind of goal with uh your uh chiropractic business is there something that you are striving for uh or or shooting for in terms of kind of long-term or or future goals
1: um i guess my goal is to have a full schedule and be able to do what i want charge what i want travel with athletes see, like go with them to all these big competitions and stuff like that and offer services to things like that like my big long-term goal is to work um, the Olympics one day, like, with athletes and see that kind of setting, um, I mean, something I also want to incorporate is being able to travel to different cities and be like, hey, um, guys, like, here's, um, I'm here this month offering services to you, like, especially because I know there's a huge triathlon population in, like, Arizona, like, they're all in the Tucson, Flagstaff, um, Scottsdale area, like they're all hiding over there um, right now. But like, it's just being able to travel and incorporate travel because that's also something that I really love to do. But also at the same time, I want to continue being able to do my practice.
0: Yeah. where Where is somebody that, or somebody, where is somewhere that you really want to uh, at one point visit or travel to? I mean, it could be, you know, locally or or abroad, is there kind of a dream destination uh, for you, Nikki?
1: I don't know if I necessarily have a dream destination because, like, I want to go everywhere. Um, I've traveled a few times this year internationally. I mean, I went to Mexico in June and then I was in um, Malaysia and Thailand in October. So, I mean, everywhere is not off limits to me. So, there's not necessarily like a dream, um, destination to go to. It's more of like, I want to see and do everything that I want to be able to do.
0: Cool. Love it. Um, okay. Now, uh, I want to kind of take a jump back into your, uh, triathlon, uh, training and experiences and, and some of that stuff before we wrap up our conversation today. So, um, what is it about, uh being a triathlete and participating in triathlon, uh Nikki, that um you thoroughly enjoy or kind of light lights your soul on fire, so to speak.
1: I think it's just because triathlon is so different than single sports. So like you're constantly doing something different. You're never just doing the the same sport all week every day. Like you're not just running 90 miles a week. Like you're biking and you're running and you're swimming and you're strength training and you're having to find time to recover your whole body in order to prepare for the next session i think it's just because it's so challenging and so engaging is what keeps me so passionate about it um versus like if i was to just run like i don't think i would have that same passion like running is a love-hate relationship with me uh sometimes i i used to get very injury prone um i was always having shin splints every year it was really annoying, but now that, like, I'm back into, like, taking care of my body and, like, making sure I'm okay enough to do it, it's a lot easier to engage in the sport and, like, finding different different um, distances that make me excited to do triathlon.
0: Um, how, how many uh, triathlons have you actually competed in over the years?
1: Um, I have competed in four 70.3s. Um, in the last three years, I think I've also, I've done one short course distance in the last year or so. And I have no idea how many triathlons I've actually done, but you could probably ask my parents. They probably know somewhat of a number of like, from 10 to 15, how many races I did. Um, but I know when we started the triathlon club, it at parker university it was like i would do a few races so i'd probably say like anywhere between two to five races a year while i was in chiropractic school and now it's like i only do a few races a year because i can't tolerate doing long distance all the time and i respect everyone who's able to compete for the six-month block that is um full like long distance um, course triathlon season. So, I mean, kudos to them. I can't do it, but I know my body would just be like, no, thank you. And just get injuries left and right.
0: Did you ever compete in the Ironman triathlon that's there in Boulder or not? I did that as a relay. Um,
1: I didn't do the full distance or the half distance. It is something that I want to do. I just, altitude and they keep changing the course. So I'm like,
0: I don't know if I want to do this race.
1: Like,
0: yeah. Well, and it's, I think it's in like June or July or something too. And it's like crazy hot. And then like you said, you've got elevation. And, um, I I know it's, I've heard that it's a pretty popular, uh, Ironman triathlon, but isn't it in like June or July or August, like when the, the heat potentially could just be insanity there in Boulder with the elevation?
1: Yeah, so I think this year was, or in 2023, it was in June. The year before, it was in August. August was insanely hot. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think this year in June, it was okay.
0: And then the next day, it
1: snowed. Yeah, okay.
0: <laughs> That's so- That sounds like Colorado for you never know what you're going to get, huh, Nikki? Yep. Yeah, for sure. Okay, now... Uh, you mentioned kind of some injuries and things like that. What, what are you doing now to kind of prevent some of those injuries? Maybe it's just not competing as much, but, uh, talk to me a little bit about the importance of recovery, uh, to kind of, uh, help you stay in the training game and the competing game, so to speak. And what are some of the recovery suggestions that you give to some of your clientele, Nikki?
1: It's mostly making sure I'm sleeping eight hours, seven to nine hours a night. I am eating enough. Because that's a big thing is like, sometimes I will be like, oh, yeah, I need to eat. And then I will forget to eat. Like, and it's really hard because like, if I'm working all day, I can ignore my hunger cues and it'll just go away. Like the hunger cues will go away and you're like no longer hungry. And you kind of forgot you haven't eaten in a few hours. Um, So it's making sure I'm eating enough food to fuel my body. Like, and it's making sure I always have food with me. So that way I'm like not hungry and not having to worry like did I eat four hours ago or did I eat like six hours ago right so I and then it's making sure I'm going to my friends who are chiropractors and PTs and making sure I get my treatments and stuff like that just so I can take care of my body and recover faster
0: yes perfect love that um nutritionally speaking what do you have like a specific uh uh, way of, of of eating that you prefer? Or what does that kind of look like nutritionally speaking for you, uh, Nikki?
1: Um, I don't necessarily have a way of eating that I prefer. I'm just trying to make sure I get enough carbs, proteins and fats in my diet, trying to make sure I eat something before I work out, eat something after I work out, um, try to make sure I am paying attention to the types of food I'm eating. I don't follow a diet. I don't follow any specific like eating timelines. Like it's making sure I'm paying attention to my windows of eating of when I need to eat. Okay,
0: perfect. Do you have a, a, do you have a, a triathlon? I kind of asked you this in terms of business, but I'm going to ask you about it in terms of triathlon and training. Do you have like a specific goal or long-term accomplishment you would like to see yourself uh, attain within uh, triathlon? Um, I'd like to do a full Ironman at some point.
1: Um, the marathon scares me. Um, I've seen marathons. I've seen, um, my mom run marathons. I understand a marathon. It's just the training for a marathon scares me. Um, and I understand, like, how each part of the marathon should feel. And I understand that, like, around mile 18 to 20 is or maybe even 22 is when the wall hits and like all of that kind of terrifies me. I know, um, I can do it, but I think that's, what's kind of stopping me, but that's why my goal this year is to run a marathon. So that way I can be like, well, I've done it. Like now I can do a full iron man.
0: Right, right. Yeah. Awesome. Super cool. Um, what do your parents, uh, uh, think about, um, you, uh, being, a? successful chiropractor and doing all the athletic things that you do, are they kind of like your biggest supporters? Uh, what, what are where are your parents out in terms of your support, uh, as an adult?
1: Um, I would like to think that my parents fully support everything I do there. They retired and they moved um, to Malaysia. So w- they actually got to see me do a triathlon for the first time since I was 15. Um, so that's been probably like 12 years since the last time they've seen me race. Um, So, it's been pretty cool. And they're like, oh, you still did great. Even though, like, during that race that they got to see me do, I was, like, having the worst day ever. Like, I had the best swim of my life. And then everything after that just became the worst day ever. And they're like, come on, you can do it. We're so proud of you. And I'm like, I'm shocked. Like, because um, most Asian parents aren't super expressive, especially about their emotions. They're just, like they just got really excited. They're like, "We're you're doing so good. You can do it. You can make it to the finish line. And I think they were just more impressed with the fact that I was willing to put myself out there, even though, like, I wanted to quit so many times after, like, the bike ride. I was like, I just want to get off. I want to be done. Like, why am I not done yet? Like, Um, so they were, I think they're pretty proud of the fact that I do all these things and continue to do it, even though, like, some days are just the worst day ever for me on triathlon races and other days are like, wow, I'm on the top of the world.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like life to me. There's always, uh, always ups and downs and you never know what's around the next uh, bend, so to speak. All right. We're going to kind of start heading towards the finish line. Uh, no pun intended there uh, Nikki with our conversation, but um, I want to just, you know, have a little bit uh, more of a conversation, ask you a few more things and we'll uh, start wrapping it up. Um, now, uh, in terms of uh, you know chiropractors versus uh, physical therapists, uh, there seems to be uh, generally speaking like maybe a little bit of uh, uh, tension animosity. I don't know what the best terminology to use with that is, but what 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 from your experience like what what's the deal between the the PTs and the chiros? Why why is there a little battle between those uh, groups of? Professionals, if you've experienced that.
1: I personally haven't dealt with that, but that's because I am more of a rehab-based chiropractor. I think it's more so of the chiropractors who won't refer to the PTs and the PTs who won't refer to the chiropractors because PTs and chiropractors can do very similar things. PTs manipulate um, and chiropractors adjust. Like chiropractors solve schooling is about the adjustment um, versus like some of us who veer off into the sports world, which is more of like the rehab PT based type of work. Um, and I think that's where the line is, like where they're like, oh, like, yeah, I can do all the things that the PT can do. And then the PT is like, you don't need to see a chiropractor. They just adjust like, blah, blah, blah. You don't need to go back and forth. But I think like if you work with the right people, you can refer back and forth and it's really not that blurt of a line. Like and obviously there's some things like if you were to say like um oh I need a bike fit and um I know PTs who can bike fit better than I can. Like I would look at you and be like go to that person. <laughs> or it's like I need a run gate analysis. I could probably give you a very generalized run gate analysis, but like I know there are PTs who can do a run gait analysis much better than I can because they've had that all that extra schooling because that is what they focused on is the biomechanics of the body and how to analyze analyze it in a way that is like different than what we learned in chiropractic school because obviously there are some schools that had that um focus where you could do a sports focus um internship and you could do all these extra stuff but like I didn't learn that like I learned all the stuff that I know now because I went to seek further education in order to learn that stuff like so it's just learning how to refer back and forth and not like think that you can do it all because most of us can't like there are people who have better knowledge about certain things than the other person so I think that's where it's like the animosity comes from is because one profession wants to be
0: better than the other profession. Makes sense. It sounds like uh, what we talked about earlier, that that uh, little thing that some of us really struggle with called ego, right? Just Mm -hmm. uh, I'm I'm better than you. Don't don't go to that person. I'll I'll take care of it. Uh, So um, now uh, in regards to, uh, you know, people that come in to see you. And again, we are under the understanding that you see a lot of athletes from that population of athletes what usually do you see as being their biggest issue or weakness uh, or area that they need to really work on strengthen what have you um generally speaking like when an athlete comes in what what what's kind of like that um uh most general issue or struggle or area that needs to be worked on with your clientele nikki
1: a lot of people will either have mid-back tightness or they will have issues with their hips Um, because triathletes and runners um, you don't really do a lot of side-to-side turning and it's a lot of more vertical oscillation or you're sitting in arrow for a long time or you're swimming and you don't really have that rotation through your mid-back so a lot of people will have tightness and they don't really notice it until someone works and they're like wow I have a greater range of motion now um with triathletes you have a lot in runners um you have a lot of hip tightness because your hips are either swimming or they are biking or they are running and it's all this back and forth motion without any side movement Mm -hmm. so i believe a lot of runners and cyclists and swimmers and all sorts of population could benefit from even even hip strengthening like any glute work any um I don't know, a lot of different like things that strengthen the hips and lateral movements, side to side movements, things like that. I think everyone could benefit from either um, getting rotation and mobility in their mid back or even strengthening the hips area.
0: Mm. Makes a lot of sense. Um, okay. I, I'm, I mentioned earlier that I go to a chiropractor. I'm a, I've been going to chiropractor since I was Literally a kid. I'm a huge proponent of chiropractic work if you can find the right one, uh, for 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 yourself. So this is coming from a, a pro chiropractic point of view in in terms of myself. What's uh, I don't want to call it a sales pitch, but um, why should individuals, whether they're you know a competitive athlete or not, because I believe we're all athletes, uh, in terms of uh, life athletes, but why should somebody? on a regular consistent basis, uh, 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 see a chiropractor, what, what is kind of like your professional, uh, personal point of view of why all of us need to get chiropractic work done? Because it still amazes me, Nikki, that in the day and age that we live in, there are so many people, I mean, a- athletic people, non-athletic people that tell me that they've never been to a chiropractor in their entire life. And it just, it always blows my mind because I need to go to the chiropractor. I need to get body work done consistently to feel good. So why, what, what's, what's the reasonings to go see a chiropractor consistently, not just when the, the pain is at a level 10 out of a 10.
1: I believe people should go to a chiropractor on a regular basis, not saying someone that needs to come in three times a week or two times a week for the rest of your life. It's more of like If you want to come in one to two times a month, like that's fine. Like taking care of your body is a priority. And you just think that those regular aches and pains are normal. They're not. Um, Most people sit at a desk nine to five, and then they don't do movements that um, take them out of that posture because most people who'd work nine to five go home and they sit on their couch for another few hours before they go to bed. So you're still continuing to do the same posture. Um, I believe chiropractic care is a great way to create more movement in your body to make you start feeling better to um, help you do the things that you want to do because if you're saying oh I want to be able to exercise and you aren't doing anything to take care of your body and you're still feeling those aches and pains like it's not conducive to your goal of wanting to exercise and move your body and do all the cool things that you have hopes and aspirations for like If you want to go hike a 14er and you're not doing anything for, towards those goals, it's going to be hard for you to do a 14er. Yeah, you might be able to do a 14er, but it might take you probably eight hours versus like if you were already active and you were feeling good and your body is prepped and ready to go, like you will feel better and you can probably do a 14er in half the time that uh, it would probably take you. Mm -hmm.
0: Now, how does somebody again? This is going to be just kind of your own perspective or point of view, but how does somebody find uh, the right chiropractor or a chiropractor that is going to uh, kind of just work work for them, so to speak? Because again, you know, just like personal trainers or any other thing out there, there's so many options and it can kind of be overwhelming. Uh, and you know, uh, I think it's important to find the right chiropractor for you and your goals. Is there something that somebody can do outside of maybe just looking on Google and seeing reviews uh, to f- kind of find the right chiropractor? Is there, is there anything that you could give us in terms of advice with, with that, Nikki?
1: I think a big piece of it, of it is social media nowadays, especially if you're trying to look for the right chiropractor. Um, a lot of chiropractors will post the type of treatments and the type of athletes that they're working on. Um, That's why I do think social media is a good thing nowadays. Is because you do see what the chiropractor is treating. You do see what the PT is doing. Like you see what they're offering to these clients. Like, um, so I do think like even talking to them being like, Hey, I have these goals and they might be like, Oh, well, I might not be the right chiropractor for you, but like knowing what you want to do and not being like, Oh, I've never been to a chiropractor before I'm going to buy into this $5,000 package because I've only seen this chiropractor once. And I only believe that I've been scared into thinking this is the only person that can fix me. Hmm. Um, I also do have a belief that if you are not getting better in the first two to three visits, find a new chiropractor. Like it's no harm, no foul. Like, yeah, the chiropractor might be offended that you left them after two or three visits, but if it's not working for you, Don't force it to work for you because like at the end of the day, if they're not helping you towards your goals, um,
0: what is the point of going? Right. Absolutely. Um, something that I've had to learn over the years as a practitioner, you know, doing personal training and just being a human being is, uh, and, and it really has stemmed from, uh, uh, going on six years of podcasting, Nikki is, uh, the, the the importance and the value and the power in listening to another human being. So I love uh, the terminology of being, uh, you know, like patient-centered um, or client-centered. Can you kind of touch on the value of that? And um, is that a huge proponent of your practice and your business? And how do you kind of implement that to really uh, make, People feel good, but then also to really build that connection and community with them, and uh, that's obviously a great way to grow your business. But um, talk about listening and just being client centered, and not just uh, again standing um, at the top of of the of the of the ego uh, you know ladder, so to speak, and saying I I've got it all figured out, so to speak.
1: Being patient centered is a huge thing nowadays, especially like you hear people being patient-centered, but they're treating something that's not the focus. Um, Obviously, there are things around the problem area that can be worked on, but, like, at the end of the day, if you're patient-centered, you should be listening to what your patient is telling you, um, especially with, like, oh, I have hip pain. Let's look at the areas above and below your hip to see if there's anything else going on. Like, we'll check the right side we'll check the left side we'll check how you move all together but like looking at the way the patient is um concerned about their problems and listening to what they want to be able to do is a big thing because like if they don't think you're working on their problem they're going to be like well you didn't fix it you didn't you didn't work on it like you didn't do anything that would have affected it so it's kind of hard with that aspect. And like, yes, I do focus on that as a big thing. Um, I mean, some most sometimes I will get so focused on that area that I will forget to do the other side because I'm like, okay, let's take care of this one section because you have so many issues going on in this side. And then next time we can work on the other side together in um with the other side, just because I wanna make sure we take care of this area. Um, it's just making sure you're helping your patients towards their own goals. Like, yeah, you might have your own goal of being like, I want to see this patient and like make a few bucks off of them. Like, but like at the end of the day, you want your patients to come back to you. You want them to trust you and know that what you're doing is the right thing.
0: Yeah. And I, I really think that all of us in kind of like the service, um, professions need to always keep at the forefront that we are doing this for others and and not ourselves. I know that we have to make money and you're trying to grow a business. It's really easy to kind of get caught up in all of that, especially in the world we're living in with social media, uh, you know, influencers and all that kind of garbage, I'm going to call it being just thrown at you. But at the end of the day, it's like, you probably became a chiropractor because you wanted to serve and 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 help and empower others. I'm in public education and done personal training and all that because I, I love people. I want to serve others. I want to empower others. I want to I wanna help others. And if I can help somebody um at my, you know, at, at at the cost of my own whatever, then then that's okay. Um, because to me, that's what life is all about. Purpose is found in service, right? So I think that's something all of us need to be reminded of. Uh, you know, very consistently because it's easy to get caught up in some of the other, uh, you know, lateral stuff. Okay. Last question, Nikki, I want to kind of ask you, and then we're going to kind of, we're going to, we're going to wrap it up um, in terms of uh, other modalities. So I've gone to chiropractors that do cupping, uh, you know, uh, Graston gr- uh, work. Um, there's all kinds of other techniques and uh, body work, uh, you know, I guess, manipulation type stuff that chiropractors get uh, involved with, is there anything else besides just the manual manipulation and, and, and adjustments that you utilize, or is it just kind of all with your, with your, with your hands? So
1: I added a new skill recently. I do dry needling. I do rehab exercises. I do a lot of the, um, soft tissue therapy and adjustments, but that's mostly what I do. Um, I do have tools to do grass sinning type, um, techniques, it's not always like something that I use. It just depends on the body part. Like I'm not going to do it on the quad because that's more work for me than it would just be to um, do soft tissue therapy or stick a couple needles in it. Um, So that's
0: kind of what I do. Excellent. All right. Awesome. Um, Okay. uh, Nikki, uh, I kind of want to just before I do a quick outro and we wrap up our conversation today, um, I want to give you the opportunity to share kind of any uh, final thoughts or Final words that you might have, uh, if you don't really have any, that's okay. But um, I w- would at least like you to kind of just direct us uh, where people can connect with you and find you. So if they are in that Austin, Texas area, they want to reach out to you. Maybe they're a triathlete. Uh, they just love kind of uh, you know what you've shared today and your um, you know perspective on uh, chiropractic care. Um, where can people find you? uh verse uh, uh, in terms of Austin, Texas, where can they find you uh on social media if there's a website um share that with us and then like I said if you have any final thoughts or final words uh please uh, feel free to share those with us if you would like
1: um you can find me on social media at wan sports cairo on Instagram um that is my business page it's w a n s p o r t s cairo um and my website is wansportschiro.com. I am a concierge sports chiropractor in the Austin area. I don't have an office. I bring chiropractic care to you. So it takes out the time and the um, driving uh, and hassle of driving in Austin. So it makes life easier for you. Um, I don't necessarily have any words to impart, but that's basically it for me.
0: Okay, Cool. Well, I just want to say, uh, Doctor Nikki, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Uh, we're doing this uh, in the morning, so I appreciate you taking a little time out of your Friday morning to to chat with all of us and and share your story. It's it's greatly appreciated. Okay. Of course. All right. Awesome. I'm gonna just do a quick outro here, Nikki, and then uh, we'll uh, I'll let you go. All right. Okay. Okay. Cool. Uh, all of you who are tuning in to another episode of Curious and Candid. I just want to say thank you so very much. I appreciate all of you. I value all of you. And I would love to connect with anybody that would uh, like to connect with me. There's a couple places that we can connect. Uh, the first place is Instagram, and that would be uh, Curious and Canon Podcast. Um, another place that we can connect is just through email. If you'd like to uh, send me an email, that would be uh, awesome. Uh, the email is Curious and Canon Podcast at gmail.com. And then before you guys uh, leave today, I would just greatly appreciate it if you guys would subscribe to Curious and Candid on iTunes and please leave us a five star rating and review. And if you guys are interested in holistic lifestyle coaching, you can check out my website, which is awaken training and nutrition.com. Again, thank you to all of you who tuned into this episode with Dr. Nikki on Curious and Candid. We'll catch you guys next time.